I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf, a series of podcasts in which I will be talking to those at the heart of the farm and grass machinery industry. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Inside AgriTurf. Now for well over a hundred years, trade associations have provided a collective voice for the industries they represent, particularly at times of national and international disruption. They are at their most effective during conflicts, economic downturns, adverse legislation and now, today, a worldwide pandemic. And they don't only represent the interests of their members, but the industry as a whole. Now for the agriturf industry, the Agricultural and Machinery and Tractor Dealers Association, AMTDA, was founded in 1917 and grew in strength and influence as machinery replaced horses and a legion of agricultural machinery dealers sprung up. In 1972, AMTDA was renamed the British Agricultural and Garden Machinery Association, BAGMA, as a response to the growth of mechanised garden machinery and turf care equipment. In the early 1990s, BAGMA ran into financial difficulties and in 1994 was acquired by the British Hardware Federation, the BHF, a move that was initiated by BHF Director General Jonathan Swift, the previous BAGMA Director General. Accepting that its remit was too narrow, BHF itself decided to broaden its scope, merging in 2009 with the British Shops and Stores Association and adopting the new branding of British Independent Retailers Association, Byra, in 2011. Today, Byra represents a wide range of retail sectors, including DIY and hardware, cookshop and housewares, fashion, health shops, pet products, independent cafes, plus, of course, farm and garden machinery dealers through BAGMA. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew Goodacre, the Chief Executive of the Byra Group, who was appointed to the role in 2018. Andrew, thanks for joining me, and I am extremely grateful to you for taking the time to talk to me, particularly on the first day of the second national shutdown, when the government is due to outline further support for businesses, and I'm sure you will be bombarded with queries from your members one of which is surely to be the definition of a non-essential shop, those that the government says have to close. Now that seems to be a rather woolly description, so are you able to provide clear guidance to your members across the sectors on what constitutes non-essential? Yes and no. Um, Basically we've been discussing this with government since Saturday when it was leaked to the press that um, the second lockdown was coming in. We got the regulations sent to us late on Tuesday and clearly they're in the regulations. It marks out what is essential and what isn't. And we shared that with our members. And the basic rule is, is that if you were closed last March, you should be closed now with the one exception being garden centers. Yeah. Um, And that's, that's the, the, the guidelines we're giving our members. Essential shops are really food shops and then what they consider to be essential services. So hardware, because it provides tradespeople, of essential products um, are allowed to remain open. Yes. And uh, looking at the BAGMA situation, of course, yeah. BAGMA on the agricultural sector is part of the food production chain. Correct. So, so again, BAGMA um, members um, can stay open, which is good news. 
they have to be wary about their showrooms though some of them because they're in the regulations there are mentions of closing closing showrooms as with the car industry yes i think so they most need to be the, wary of that yeah. sure i think most of them got that sussed in the first yes. lo lockdown yes. and it, yeah um, the, the, the message is whatever you did in march um, you need to do again yeah um, basically and and it was frustrating really because we we've been campaigning throughout the summer that retail is very safe and safer than than it ever was yeah um because of the investment shops have made in perspex and sanit hand sanitizer and all the notifications to remind customers we've introduced mandatory face covering since so shopping's been very safe um, yes. and there's no scientific evidence linking the, the growth in the virus to retail that argument lost out to the science i'm afraid and, and the scary scientific fact about the number of of deaths sadly from it so the reasons we understand we're just disappointed that um, it's been communicated and dealt with the way it has been. Uh, Andrew, if we look at the, the, the bigger picture, I see some data that's recently come out from a, uh, a company called Local Data Company, yeah. which, which actually indicated that first half of the year, 31,000 store closures, yeah. uh, which was a decrease of about 7,800 retail units. Um, and 20,000 of these were independents, but, yeah. but actually just over 18,000 new openings for independents. Um, what do you take from those figures? What does it tell you about the role that independents might have to play in the, in, in the fabric of the high street in the future? Well, it, it reassures me that there's still people who see a future in retailing. I think when you look on, at the details of that report, and uh, I attended a presentation of it on Monday, and the, 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 it's encouraging that people want and see a future in having premises on the high street to offer retailing services. And it's the service bit that's important there because a lot of the new businesses are barbers, hairdressers, cafes, what we call re servicing retail. Yeah. Um, the comparison goods, the traditional style of retail, is where you've seen the losses. Yes. So we, we, there's good news and bad news in it. I think also we should be very wary that it covers the first half of the year. Lockdown happened after the first quarter. I, I, I very much doubt that there's been lots of new openings in um, that first lockdown period, which um, didn't end till the 15th of June. I, I'm, 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 I believe that the second half of the year, when that report comes out, and I think it, it, it projects a net loss of about 18,000 shops which to me means that it could be upwards of 30,000 um, uh, independent stores lost in that period, which would tally with what we're hearing from, member, from our, our members and what we're seeing uh, around the market. Yeah. Um, when we go back uh, several decades, there was a particularly uh, vocal by British campaign, which mm. became a, a rallying call. Is there a growing consumer interest and commitment to support local independent businesses and uh, you're getting initiatives like Google's local shopping. Is that proving uh, useful to the independent sector? I think there's a real interest in it and, and the biggest driver for it is actually the, the other change we've seen from COVID-19 is where people are working, i.e. as we are at the moment working from home. Yeah. And, and because you've got thousands more people working from home, the city centres are struggling, which is bad news. The large towns are struggling. But your suburban areas, your small towns, your large villages, um, we, we, we hear from members that there's been a pickup in footfall there. And because you've got people working from home, it means they can do their shopping 
on different days at different times, but importantly, locally. And, and so I, I think that has brought a focus. I think that's why Google are keen to support local businesses with an advertising campaign about consumer reviews, which helps them, these businesses appear in Google. And also Google Shopping is, a, is really giving those businesses a chance to do campaigns themselves to, to promote their, their, their increased awareness. And that's what independents have got to do, I think. And, yeah. and there's evidence that, that over the last six months that people want to shop local. Um, but, but what they don't always know is what's available locally. And that's where the shops need to work harder to make sure that consumers do know what's available. Uh, it's rather interesting, uh, this shift in, in premises, because my son works for a, a healthcare company um, with offices in Tottenham Court Road in London. Um, yeah. And obviously he has been working from home and he lives in South Woodford in Essex. Um, and he was telling me that um, two or three new coffee shops have cropped up in South yeah. Woodford uh, to, to, to cope with the extra demand from home workers. So you're, you're just shifting it from one place to another. In effect, yes, you are. And, and that's not good news for city centres. It's not good news for the, the, the more um, where offices have, have existed in the past and commuters have, have had to travel in. But it, obviously, it's good news on a local basis. It, we, we want more than coffee shop sales. We want them to buy their, their, their clothes. We want them to buy their, their homeware products. We want them to buy their shopping locally as well. And, and the important thing about local expenditure is that it stays in the local economy much more readily. Yes. Yeah, yes. Buying online through through one of the giants such as Amazon means that the money disappears somewhere else effectively. Yeah. Spending yeah. it locally means that that business then spends locally and, and so on. So if you're just looking at local economic science behind it, it's really good news if people do spend money locally. Yeah. I mean, with what's going on in the high street and the dramatic changes in the retail sector, how do you see that itself impacting on, on your organisation, on Byra? I mean, yeah. You've got, got some impressive headquarters in Edgebaston, yes. um, <laughs> which, which presumably are um, uh, fairly empty at the moment. I mean, are well, most of your staff working at home? or, or we, we, ha we are. We are 95% working from home. Uh, there's a small number, no more than three people, four people maybe who have to go in because their work necessitates it or they can't work from home. Um, there are people in accounts, a couple of accounts, and, and one of the unique features Byra has is a bank. Yes. Uh, and, and so to keep the bank running, we've got people um, who, who go into the office to make sure that the bank is serviced as well. So but other than that, everyone else working from home. Interestingly, our site, we, have three, we own three properties on there, and we, we basically... Um, retained one and we've let out the other two now um, because yeah. even when this pandemic is finished I think there'll be um, a demand for people to work flexibly I don't think people want to work five days of work from home and neither do they want to be five days a week in an office and they want some flexibility of when they're in and when they're not and so you don't need the office space that we had before basically <laughs> I see uh, mention in the last annual report, and which was your your first, that you yeah. made a mention, and and said that Byra was actually often regarded as retail's best kept secret. Yes. Uh, um, now you you've got just over four thousand members representing yeah. about eight and a half thousand business unit retail units. Yes. Uh, um, given that there are an estimated. 220 odd thousand independent mm. retailers in the uk it would appear to be plenty of scope for Byra in the in in, in the in the future 
Yeah, there, there, there is. I've worked for three associations now for the last in the last uh, since two thousand nine when I worked for the FSB. Yeah. And then prior to Byra, I worked for the Residential Landlord Association, so private um, landlords who rent out property. The FSB at the time had two hundred thousand members out of an estimated target market of of four to five million. Really. Landlord association, we got to thirty five thousand members. And out of a target of about two million, the, the interesting thing with landlords is no one knows how many landlords there are, but the rough yeah. estimates are about two million. Yeah. And um, and within buyer, as you say, we 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 got four thousand members. We're fairly consistent at that level, but it's out of a of a two hundred and twenty target market. So it, it's it's not unusual for for associations to only have a small percentage of the market as their members. And, I, I, and, and I've yet to work out why. I think it's to do with people's perceptions of what we do, a lack of awareness of what we do. And, and that's down to us to change that. It's down to us to, to change our image, connect with them differently, really make them realize that they have got help and support, especially at these difficult times. Um, and we are looking at our membership packages for next year to see what we can do better um, and offer better value to get more people to join us. I had quite a lot to do with uh, Bagma uh, yeah. in, a, in, in a previous career. And it was often heard, and to paraphrase Man Monty Python, uh, you often heard it said, um, what on earth has BHF, Byra, Bagma ever done for us? <laughs> so, so, so really, how do you sell Byra members? Uh, what, what, how, what do you regard are its main USPs, shall we call them? Yeah, in, on the face of it, we, we look the same as most associations, in fairness. You know, we, we, we have a, an employee helpline that's open 24-7, and that helps um, uh, our, our members understand employment law, and they get free advice as part of their membership in those areas. We, we do insurance products. We do services to them. We, we help them find the best services to help them grow their business. What really sets us apart, I think, are three key areas. One is all we do is retail. We really understand retail. And that's different to, say, the likes of the FSB, for instance, who are a good company, but we are the retail experts and specialists. And then there's two features that we have, which, which no other association has. One is we have a bank. I've mentioned it. Yes. It may be the smallest bank in the country, <laughs> um, but it's, a, it's a, a bank that was set up in 1955 and continues to provide loans, um, at very competitive rates and savings products at very competitive rates to our members. So, so that's, that's the first thing. And the second thing we have um, is that we set up a buying group for, for our members, servicing mainly the hardware, homeware, cookware, giftware uh, shops and businesses, because that that's our heritage. And that's unique as well. And, and that, that really helps members get prices and terms from suppliers they might not normally get. And that's absolutely crucial um, in, in retailing. Margins are tight, getting tighter all the time. And, the, and, and this buying group really does help the members get the best possible deals um, for them. Just going back to the bank for a moment, yeah. um, presumably the bank um, offers loans for capital equipment and, and yeah. so on. Does it offer finance, seed seed capital, uh, working capital for companies to expand their business or go into a new area or anything? It, 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 it certainly um, will offer working capital loans. Yeah. And it's looking to expand its product range 
in, in with a wider set of loan products. Its core business is is equipment and vehicles. That's its core business. And uh, we probably currently got a loan book of about fifteen million pounds. So mm-hmm. that means that we've lent fifteen million pounds out there. It's very strong business. It, it, it's limited by the fact that it, it's really focused on its membership. So if our membership isn't growing, it's difficult for the bank to grow. Yes. But in some ways, um, it, it's run to suit our membership and that, and that, that works for us at this moment in time. Um, it, from a savings point of view, it's got good savings rates. And, and again, if more people knew about it, I'm, more, I'm sure more people would save with us, but it's not operating in the same commercial environment as a high street bankers. Obviously, one of the roles of trade associations, uh, particularly at times like this, Andrew, is to have a conduit into, into government. Do you work closely with similar organisations like the Retail Consortium and FSB, Federation of Small yeah. Business, and yes. others? Do, do you jointly make uh, submissions to government or do you make them individually? It depends on, on the topic. I would, I would say that we have a friendly rivalry with, with the associations. The retail sector, and it's the other challenge we have within, within, in terms of membership, is the retail sector is a, a cottage industry of associations. Nearly every type of retailer seems to have its own association. Yeah. Um, bookmakers, butchers, bread makers, um, and then you've got us as sort of a general uh, retailer. It's important to recognize that we're, none of us are big enough to do all of the campaigning that all these retailers want us to do. So we, what's important is that we, we talk, we're constantly sharing information with each other. I have regular calls with the BRC, um, the British Retail Consortium. I still know people I work with in the FSB and we work closely with people like uh, the National Federation of Retail News Agents. And, and what we tend to do is is look at the big topics and say, right, who wants to lead on business rates? So we've taken the lead on business rates to, to get that burden reduced. And uh, the FA, and the other associations will give us information. The, the NFRN, for instance, they have a bigger issue with retail crime, uh, shoplifting and, and, and so on in their businesses. So we let them lead on that because it's also a problem to our members, but they lead on that and we provide them information and support. So it's really about recognizing each other's strengths and weaknesses and, and and also recognition that we can't all do the same thing. We're better off sharing some of this expertise and allowing people to lead on key projects as long as it's been done in the interest of wider retailers. And, and generally speaking, it is, and it works well. Good. good. Um, if you had to summarize, and obviously this has been a very challenging year, very odd year, uh, one like no other. What has been the major issues that you've really had to deal with within Byra during this year? If, if you had to summarize those that oh. not necessarily kept you awake at night, although I suppose they did, but taxed your members most. Yeah, didn't I, 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 well, obviously it's been, it's been a year of COVID, hasn't it? And, yes. and I guess you know, that has dominated everything. The most frustrating aspect, Chris, and this is genuine, I think towards the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020, we were seeing things turn around for us. I think, I think even the local data company, their research you mentioned, their 2019 report showed that there was a slight uplift in the number of independents um, and, and, and not a decline. We were seeing membership increase slightly. We were seeing the turnover in the bank and the, our buying group increase. So the things were looking largely positive. And then came along COVID and a lockdown in March. And since then, it's been, 
all those words, challenging, unprecedented, (laughs) difficult, but actually so, so rewarding because I do really believe we have connected and engaged with our members like we never have before. We have disseminated quite complex information to them, helped them understand what they need to do, how to come through this this crisis. And and I think our, our, our link now with our members, our relationship with our members is so much stronger. Yes. And, and it, it's true to say, I guess, in a crisis, you, you know who your friends are. Yes. And, and, and I guess we've been a big friend to our members. Um, they've appreciated that. And it's really made us understand as well what we need to do outside, once this crisis is finished, what we have to carry on doing in the interest of our members and to attract new people onto us. So yes, it's been difficult and, and there's challenges still to come, I'm, I'm sure. But you know, we have learned an awful lot about what retailers really need from their, from their association. Yeah. Um, you represent quite a number of different retail sectors, whether they be uh, hardware or pet shops mm. or, or clothing or, and, and tractors and lawnmowers yeah. and, and goodness knows what. Is there, is there any sharing of experiences and business practices uh, between, between those different groups within the uh, buyer umbrella? Um, yes, and, and I think that's been another advantage of the last few months in that um, we have worked with members to help them readjust their business model. Because if, if your business gets closed down with a few hours notice, which is what happened on March the 23rd, you know, I, I think you, after you get past the, the disappointment and the frustration and the anger, what the retailer has to say is, well, if the customer can't come to me, how do I go to the customer? Yeah. How do I take my shop into the customer's living room? And we saw people use Zoom to do fashion shows, you know, clothing retailers using Zoom to do a fashion show. We, we, we had wine merchants doing virtual wine tasting. Oh, yeah, I went um, to one. But, yeah, right, okay. And, and we shared those ideas around. We got more press coverage and media interest in what we were saying. And we've been really good. And it's important. It's what I do a lot of media. I want my members to talk to the media because my members are the ones at the coalface. But there's no, you know, a, a retailer who's been closed down and had the rug pulled from under their feet will express that far better than I will with the passion that, that it merits. And, and I think that's also been a fantastic because they've shared good ideas of what they've done to, 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 to prosper in some cases, and also given us the opportunity to, to better understand again, as I was saying earlier, about what, what's needed to help our members get through this. So sharing that best practice is, is fundamental now to what we do. And we, we, we're redeveloping our website and what we want to do within that is create uh, member forums so again given almost like a an internal facebook group i suppose yeah. for our members where they can share discussions on key topics share ideas and 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 share the problem i suppose yeah and share the opportunity obviously uh with with independent uh, retailers setting up that their, their main challenge is combating the uh the, the online retailers particularly the big companies um how good is the independent retail sector or rather how good has the retail sector been adopting new digital technologies e-commerce for communications mm. uh online shopping payment systems and so on and what what support can Byra give to them yeah well we've been doing some research throughout the summer on this talking to members and we believe that something like 75 to 80 percent of members now now have a website 
Only 25% of them, are, however, have a website that is transactional, i.e. customers can yes. make purchases through it. So it's one thing having a website, it's how then do you make it really work for you? I think, to be honest with you, Chris, I think it should have said that some of our members were ahead of the curve and yeah. were already moving to, to the online world and making it work for them. Others have really had to play a fast game of catch up. And I think some will really struggle catching up as well. Yes. Uh, because it takes time, it takes resources. And when you've been starved of cash, as they have been over summer, it's difficult to find that money to invest in the business again, uh, to reinvent it. So there, there are problems. And, and certainly, so what can Vira do? With, with an independent business, they, they don't have the IT departments, they don't have HR no. departments. So we're working with IT specialists with new technology that, that they can buy into or work with that allows them, for instance, and now their products to appear on a, a local Google search through technology called Pointy, which basically works on barcodes. And, and if you want to promote a certain product, Google will put it on the homepage. So if someone then puts in a blue shirt, they'll find blue shirt locally. Yes. And, and or I, I need um, a certain drill or a, a power screwdriver, they can find that locally. And I think it's that technology that one of the key roles we play as an association is linking our members with those kind of services that they might not normally see in their normal network group. Um, obviously, uh, this podcast is aimed specifically at the Bagma market. Um, yeah. I notice on your website that whereas if all the product groups, the retail groups are, are generally grouped, Bagma is shown as a, a standalone trade association. Um, what is the reason for that? Is it? I mean, obviously, it has its own history uh, going back, as yours does, for nearly a hundred years or over a hundred yeah. years, rather. Yeah. Um, what, what is the reason for it, it apparently being a completely separate trade association under the Bayer banner? Yeah, that's a really good question. And when I when I was preparing for interviews with with Bayer over a couple of years ago now, I, I did wonder what Bagma was. You know, I looked at it and I thought, <laughs> how does that fit? You know, retail, agricultural, machinery dealers, and how does it work? It wasn't until I joined and I met the people in Bagma, both the management team and then the members as well, um, that I started to see why it had its own identity. And the, the biggest reason is it is such a strong identity and such a strong link with its members. These guys walk around with Bagma shirts, Bagma jumpers, Bagma ties, both the, the staff and the, 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 the uh, members. There's a real affinity to the Bagma name and the Bagma logo, and it's a strength. And it really wouldn't be sensible for us to try to say, well, we don't need that anymore. You're just part of Byra. It makes sense to actually say, that's a brand. We should keep that brand. And because it, it means something out in that particular marketplace. It's, it, it's a real strength of, of, of that entity. So, yes, I, I think it's right to, to have it as, a, as, it, as it looks and as it is, its own organisation, its own association, as its own um, member council. And we work closely with it. And I work closely with the likes of Keith Christian, the, the director, to make sure that, that we're aligned, that they've got, freedom within Bagma to do what they need to do for their members. Yeah, yeah. It, does it follow, therefore, that uh, actually promoting the Byra brand more aggressively, more obviously, more, more publicly, uh, might be a way forward to, to, to get over this idea of being retail's best-kept secret? Yeah, it does. And, and, and 
I think we, you could argue actually that the, the, the brand names that you, you mentioned or you referred to earlier, like BHF, British Hardware Federation, if you're a hardware shop, you knew exactly what that was. Yes. If you're a cookware shop, you knew the Cookware Association and, and, and so on. And, and, and I think maybe, well, I do know that our marketing strategy in the future is, is not, we don't want to lose Biver, but we've got to make sure that within Biver and people looking at us understand exactly what we are about. And, and where our heritage is, because I think people do do buy into heritage and history. And there's still an awful lot of hardware shops who are not members. So we do need to, to whilst it may not be prominent, we ought to really make use of our heritage to promote what Byra is and does in the future. There's a fine balance there, but, but it's something that, that is important to us. Yeah. Andrew, I'm really grateful for your time today. In summary, if, if you had to look back at the last, 12, well, not necessarily the last 12 months, but uh, this year, 2020, yeah. what, what do you think has been your most frustrating or disappointing aspect of, of things that you would like to have achieved and haven't been able to for whatever reason? Um, I would say this week. And the reason I say that is, is, We've worked very well with government and still do. Um, and it comes back to this definition of essential and non-essential. And the non-essential businesses will now have been closed for four months out of the last eight or something. You know, it, it's a phenomenal time of closure and, and not many businesses can, can withstand such a hit. And, and it really frustrated me this week when despite all the, all the evidence pointing to retail being safe, that the government decided to close down 80% of it. Yes. And at the same time, allow the likes of, of a, a Marks and Spencer's River Food Hall to carry on operating the whole of its, um, of, of its store. Um, and so it just feels as if, as if they've lost sight with the unfair competition now. Even garden centres, and I like garden centres. I think garden centres should, should have been opened in March yes. instead of being closed. This time of year, people don't go to garden centres to buy plants, really. They're buying, they're going, they're going, if you go into a garden centre now, you are bombarded with christmas oh absolutely yeah you know and it doesn't seem fair to me that they should be allowed to trade open <laughs> selling christmas and homeware and everything linked with it and the garden is is the last thing on their mind it, and yet in march when everyone wants to buy for the garden for spring and summer they were closed and, and i think that it's just been a frustrating few days where the government have failed to really understand the nuances of retail so uh, presumably you've got members in Wales and Scotland, so you have different uh, answers and different crib sheet for well, every time. It's difficult. And, and our membership team take all these questions. And, I've, and I said to them, if you've got any difficulties, send the contacts to me. And I, I do. I was speaking <laughs> to members till six o'clock last night. And I've got three or four members I need to call after this conversation. Because I think they, they at least deserve to hear why we didn't get the definition of essential shops in our favour. And what yes. we can do about it in the future, really. So, you know, it, it, that has been probably the most frustrating aspect of it, that these people have worked so hard to make it safe and it's made no difference. And, and you touched on certain things earlier, but, but what's been the most satisfying practical achievements you feel that uh, Barra has been able to I, achieve this year? When I see feedback, and we've had lots of it, uh, this year saying how how much members have appreciated what we've done for them yeah. in terms of communication they've seen us in the media lobbying for for um the, the, the independent retailer they've seen what we've been trying to change in their interest 
And every time a member phones up, not doesn't have to be to me, but they phone up membership, head office, any one of our employees, and says, really, thank you for, for what you've done to us. And we've had more of that this year than, than in the previous years I've been here. But I think we're achieving something and doing the right job. So every time I hear that, I feel satisfied. And I've heard that a lot this year. Oh, well, that, that's brilliant. Well, look, uh, Andrew, really do thank you for your, for your time at this particularly uh, busy time. I think, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, there has been some amazing initiatives and demonstrated by particularly small retailers in the past few months. I, I guess that says where there's a will, there's a way. So thank you very much for your time today. Uh, thank you, Chris. Really appreciate it. So a really useful insight on the support, practical help and advice that a trade association can provide at times like this. And I really do thank Andrew for his time on what proved to be a very hectic day for him and his team at Barra. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf. Mm-hmm.